This is North Texas Cycling Monthly. Hey Crickets, it's John. It's our 14th episode. This episode recorded October 2nd, 2020. Fall weather has found North Texas, and that is fantastic news. Our email address, northtexascycling at gmail.com. Remember, if you take the time to write, I'll take the time to read your message during the podcast. Now, Saturday, August 29th, it would have been the date of the actual Hotter and Hell 100 had it run this year. But in 2020, it was virtual. Essentially, it was left up to the registered participant where and on which date you rode. Well, I knew living in Wichita County, there would be a modest gathering of cyclists on Scott Street, downtown Wichita Falls, Saturday morning. I was invited to ride as a part of a small group, maybe a half dozen of us. We were going to ride last year's 100K route. route, route. The forecast called for a very hot day, even for late August. The previous day, Wichita Falls made it to 107 degrees officially. Because of the forecast of another very hot day, we got underway at around 6.30, about a half hour before sunrise. When I was at home preparing for the ride and checking the weather conditions early that morning, I noticed strong north winds across far western Oklahoma. But the forecast suggested the strong winds were going to stay to our west and we might actually have the benefit of a tailwind as we turn east toward Burke Burnett. So our, our group is going strong as we pass through Iowa Park, uh, making our way into western Wichita County on one of my favorite stretches of road in the county. That's FM 367 with good quality tarmac and rolling hills. We get about 20 miles in and I look down to notice that my back tire is low and I stop to see what the issue is. Now, I knew the tire was almost a year old, and I really hadn't had any issues previously. As a matter of fact, I had been running tubeless on my road bike for over a year and a half and never had a flat, never had any significant loss of pressure during a ride. When I was running tires with tubes, I was on the side of the road fixing flats four or five times a year. I didn't see any sign of a puncture, but we suspected I was slowly losing air from around the valve. So I get the tire up back to a usable pressure and we continue west. Now, the mother of one of the riders in our group was running support, essentially a rolling rest stop with food, drink, gear. And we met her prior to the turn north uh, toward 287, again at about mile 20. Now, by this time, two or three riders have decided they've had enough. They're just not feeling it and uh, they're going to pack up, head back to Wichita Falls. The only remaining riders are the ones who didn't stop when I had the flat. So they were a couple miles up the road. So yours truly was all alone. But I was fairly confident that my tire was going to hold, at least to Burke Burnett. I got another seven, eight miles down the road and boom. The strong north winds I saw on the weather map early that morning, they did in fact make it to Wichita County likely associated with an outflow boundary, kind of a small-scale cold front. So now I'm headed north in a headwind that's probably 15, 25 miles per hour and gusty. But honestly, the way I saw it was I'd rather have a strong headwind at mile 25 to 30 than in the final 10 to 15 miles of the ride. 
Also, uh, I thought that with those north winds, that makes the extreme heat in the forecast a little less likely. So at mile 31, around the halfway point of the 100K, uh, the route turns east towards Burke. And finally, we finally I'm out of the brutal headwind. And I'm surprised to see that the two riders who continued on when I had the mechanical, uh, they were stopped with our mobile rest stop turns out that that strong north wind really zapped their energy so the good news was i had friends to ride with again the bad news was that uh, that tailwind i had hoped for really never materialized we had a strong crosswind for the 15 miles into Burnett, which was uh, without question going to be my next rest stop because that's where i live i get home i eat some food charge up my lights pump up my tire uh, and get off my feet for a few minutes, get back on the bike for that final stretch to Wichita Falls. And I'm feeling pretty good. I was feeling confident, uh, so much so that I thought, well, you know, after I get in my 100K, I might jump on the bike trail and get some more miles in. But of course, about halfway to Wichita Falls, I came to my senses. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was getting hot. And I would finish the ride with uh, um, 65 miles at just over four hours. Many of my friends on Strava did the 100-mile route, and uh, hopefully they did so with some support. Wichita Falls made it to 103 that afternoon despite north winds. Had we had the typical south winds, the high temperature probably would have been 108, 109, making it one of the hottest days on which the Hotter Hill 100 would have been scheduled in the past 20 years. As I mentioned in my previous episode, I lost my job in mid-August, and as of this recording, don't have any strong leads. At the beginning of September, three or four days after Hotter and Hell 100, I decided to spend a few days in New Mexico to clear my head and ride my bike to some interesting places. The day before I left, I took the bike shop to have a pro look at the rear tire and see if he could determine the cause of my air loss mentioned earlier. Later, when I picked the bike up, he said he retaped the rear tire, added some new sealant. So I hit the road for New Mexico, assuming all of my mechanical issues had been addressed. Next stop, Albuquerque. My plan was to stay two nights in Albuquerque and then head south to Riodosa. After arriving in Albuquerque, I get my first taste of their fantastic network of urban bike trails uh, on what's called the Northern Diversion Channel Trail, which, which runs from the middle of town from near the University of New Mexico campus north to Balloon Fiesta on the uh, north side of town, famous for their annual hot air balloon festival. Essentially a very large area of turf grass, probably the equivalent of 8 to 12 football fields. This was a really nice introduction to Albuquerque as a cyclist. It was an out and back of about 17 miles. Uh, the southern end of the Northern Diversion Trail was within a miles ride of my hotel. And I was really excited to get in a long day of riding the next day. Uh, the forecast was looking good. Uh, by the way, almost every cyclist I saw on the trails in Albuquerque was wearing a mask. Now, the good thing about Albuquerque in the first week of September is you don't have to start your ride at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning to beat the heat. New Mexico, no matter which part of the state you're in, 
um, is on the whole far less humid than Texas, especially that part of Texas from the Metroplex south toward the Gulf of Mexico. You'll find in areas of low humidity like El Paso and Amarillo, uh, the temperatures will be cooler at night compared to places like Houston and Austin. When I woke up the next morning, the temperature was around 50 degrees, so I actually had to wait a couple of hours for it to warm up. I uh, I mapped out my ride for the day, about a 36-mile loop around the city with some elevation, but nothing I couldn't handle. I gear up, I get underway just before 10 a.m. from Snow Heights Park. The ride begins with a very gradual climb. Riding east, I can literally see the road in front of me, straight as an arrow, and steadily climbing toward the sun about uh, 100 to 120 feet per mile. About three miles in, the ride feels uh, the ride feels a little tougher than it should. I look down and I find a flat rear tire. Now, the downside to having such a worry-free run on tubeless tires for months on end is I don't keep a very well-stocked saddlebag. So at this point, all I have is a half-charged cylinder in my inflator. No patches, no tube not even any levers. Honestly, with all that sealant, the only thing I would accomplish is making a huge mess. So I get the tire maybe half inflated and I ride back to the car, risking damage to fairly expensive carbon wheels. I take the bike to a nearby shop. I explain that I'm from out of town with limited time and I ask if perhaps they could squeeze me in. Now, the guy who greeted me on the floor suggested they were backed up like two or three days and they acted acted like I couldn't help or acted like they couldn't help. Now, thank goodness there was an older mechanic who overheard our conversation and called out from the shop saying, hey, at least try to put some air in it. Um, and after doing so, he couldn't determine where or why I was losing pressure. Eventually, he said, hey, just let me throw a tube in it get you on your way. I said, yes, please. That would be fantastic. He threw a tube in it, charged me for the tube, and I was on my way. I lost a little bit of time, but there was still plenty of time in the day to ride. So I've chosen to start at the south end of what they call the Tramway Trail, which runs north and south along the east side of Albuquerque along Tramway Boulevard. I depart around noon. It's a pretty cool trail. Uh, again, fairly steady climb, but some cool desert landscapes. The only thing that adds some stress to the ride is that you occasionally have to ride through some major intersections, watching for cross traffic and signals. I'm about six miles into the ride, which started at about 5,600 feet above sea level. And uh, by mile six, I had climbed about 380 feet. So I'm huffing and puffing. I look down and would you believe it? My rear tire is flat. I I simply could not believe what I was seeing. I was six miles from my car. I had nothing in my saddlebag to even temporarily fix a flat. So I figured, you know, I go on four to five mile walks at home regularly. I don't have anything else to do today. I really have no choice but to hoof it. So I'm walking in full kit alongside my road bike. Other cyclists and mountain bikers are passing me by. I'm walking in cycling shoes with Keo style cleats, and it doesn't take much time for that walk to become uncomfortable. 
um, I think, well, maybe it would be better to slip off my cleats and carry them and walk in my socks. That was comfortable for maybe three or four minutes, but as time went by, I began feeling this burning sensation on the soles of my feet. And in looking back, it was probably some combination of slightly sweaty socks, the grid of the surface I was walking on, which honestly wasn't too dissimilar from non-skid. And then, of course, the afternoon heat radiating from that surface. It felt like my feet were burning through my socks. Uh, the longer I tried to walk, the more I began to wonder if, in fact, I was even capable of making it to my car. So with every cyclist that passed, I kindly asked if they might have a pump or a cartridge. I finally found someone who was riding a commuter-style bicycle, and he had a pump. Uh, having never used a small hand pump before, at least a small one, I I assumed I was using it right, and the temp and the tires simply would not inflate, not even a little bit. Uh, the air was simply going through wherever the loss was occurring. So I was really in a tough situation. I couldn't get my tire inflated, and I'm not sure I had the physical ability to get to my car without enduring some sort of trauma to my feet, either by walking in cycling shoes or in my socks. Fortunately, there was a, a local who said I was probably closer to the nearest bike shop than I was my car. He said basically it was one major thoroughfare to what would have been my west and perhaps maybe a 30-minute walk away. So again, with my bike by my side, carrying my shoes, I make my way uh, to this bike shop walking through a residential area. Now, a guy saw me from his garage, and I guess he visually assessed my situation and asked me if I needed a ride to that shop. I said, as a matter of fact, I do. Uh, so here I am. I'm all by myself, 500 miles from home, and I agreed to accept a ride from a perfect stranger in his Ford pickup to get me to a bike shop that was maybe a five-minute drive away. And he did just that. I never learned his name. We had a friendly conversation about the trial and error of riding a bicycle, and I'm not sure he knew the ins and outs of being a road cyclist, but he understood that we had common frustrations. So we get to the bike shop. He goes on his friendly way. Uh, I rolled into the shop, and immediately it was pretty clear to me that this was a mountain bike shop. No sooner do I get in the door and the young man uh, says something along the lines of, I don't think I have what you need. Uh, without even really knowing what I needed. And, and that was, of course, unless he saw my tire was flat. He attempts to inflate the tire and it starts to lose air quickly. Now, by this time, I was so worn out. I had really given up on the idea of riding that day. I just honestly wanted to get back to my car. I asked if anyone there had a truck or could someone get me to my car. His answer was, we all rode into work today. So between the walk that was killing my feet and my utter disappointment and what was far and away the biggest run to mechanical issues I've ever had as a cyclist, I was just ready to throw in the towel. Now, to pour salt on the wound a little bit, the young man asked me where my car is. And I tell him and he was like, oh, oh we don't go down there. They call that the war zone. And I was a little puzzled because where I left my car to start my ride was essentially a very small sculpture park kind of on the southeast part of town. And I never really got any impression that it was unsafe uh, 
Anyway, he suggests that I hire ride service. He'll hold on to the bike. I can go get my car, come back, get my bike. So I do that. And of course, I think my wait is somewhere like 15 minutes for the Lyft driver to show up. So I have all this crap on my mind, swirling like a tornado in my brain. You know, the plan of having a fantastic ride of 30 plus miles in a new place with a great trail being utterly destroyed by a rear tire that I can't keep inflated. That combined with, I don't know what I've done to my feet, walking about two and a half miles, maybe three miles, both in socks and in my cycling shoes, my feet were killing me. On top of that, I was now, of course, worried about what may have happened to my car, um, having apparently parked in a quote-unquote war zone, according to this guy. So long story slightly shorter, the Lyft driver gives me back to my car, which is perfectly fine. I had a nice conversation with him as well. He basically told me that guy at Bike Shop didn't know uh, what the hell he was talking about as far as what part of town I parked my car in. Uh, I get back to the bike shop. I pick up my bike, load it up on the rack, head back to the hotel, completely deflated. So the following day was to be my final day in Albuquerque. My hope was that I could find a bike shop that A, could help me and B, opened relatively early. Uh, if so, I might be able to get one final ride in Albuquerque before I depart for Rio Dosa in the afternoon. I find a bike shop called Bike Works Albuquerque, which opens at 9 a.m. So I get there right when they open and they can, in fact, help me. They get me in right away and they mount up a new tire on the back. I was pretty impressed with the shop. It was a small shop, but a highly functional shop. And they placed an emphasis on service and repair because the service and repair area where all the repair stands are looked to be essentially right in the middle of the store. And they had three or four guys working during the 30, 40 minutes I was there. A guy by the name of Daniel helped me, and I was about as impressed with Bike Works Albuquerque as I've been with virtually any shop. So now I was a little more confident that I had a rear tire that I could put some air in and some faith in. I was able to get one final ride on the Bosky Trail in Albuquerque, uh, which is, uh, it was an out and back of about 13 miles, and the trail paralleled the Rio Grande, although it wasn't quite close enough to where I could actually see the river from the trail, but it was a cool trail. Uh, it was a flat trail. Over my 13 miles, my elevation gain was somewhere on the order of 40 feet. So I departed Albuquerque on a positive note. Now, despite all these frustrations, I still very much am a big fan of Albuquerque. Um, it's a very aesthetically pleasing uh, desert city. And um, in, in kind of the same way as Oklahoma City, despite its size, it's pretty darn easy to get around. So I do enjoy and I want to go back to uh, Albuquerque someday. Uh, by midday, I was headed south to Riadosa. Now, the reason I had chosen Riadosa as a destination is because, well, I'd heard its name a few times over the past few years, not so much as a cycling destination, but as a destination in general with some scenery and some landscapes. Not to mention it was a little bit closer to home compared to Albuquerque. Now, I'm happy to report that my bike was working reliably in Riadosa, and uh, I logged my highest um, my highest ride in elevation, not elevation gain during a ride, but my greatest elevation above sea level. One of the two rides I had near Riadosa started at 6,200 feet and topped out at about 7,200 feet. 
Um, that was an out and back of about 22 miles. Now, I didn't concern myself with pace or cadence or power. Honestly, I was just doing everything I could to keep my heart rate below 160. On Saturday, September 26th, I rode in the first annual Tour de Fort Sill, which takes place at Field Artillery Headquarters at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which is one of the larger Army installations in the Southern Plains. This is a ride I recommend, assuming that the forecast calls for cooperative weather. I rode the 48-mile route, uh, which is the longest of the three routes designed for the ride. There are a variety of roads used, so therefore there is a variety of road surfaces. Now, all of them are paved, but some roads are main thoroughfares that go through posts for passenger cars and are very well maintained, very smooth, high-quality tarmac. Then some of the route is on roads used by artillery apparatus, howitzers, armored vehicles uh, to get to the artillery ranges, which means those roads are a bit rougher, you know, with all the heavy equipment using those roads daily. But all in all, I really did enjoy this ride. The route is mainly east-west, which means even if you do have a typical strong south breeze, you're only going to be in that wind for maybe uh, a quarter of the ride tops. There is some elevation too. Over my 48-mile route, the elevation gain was just over 1,800 feet. And the final third of the ride is a fairly steady climb that gets a little more steep with about 10 miles to go. So it's a challenging ride, but it's a good ride. It's a fun ride. And for their first event, um, it was fairly well attended. Now, if there's one recommendation I would make to the organizers, <laughs> and that would be make it a little bit easier for the civilians to get on post. There was an event last year called the Tour of the Wichita's, which actually started on Fort Sill. And the route took you into the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge. Again, another premier ride in Oklahoma. If you ever have the chance to ride in the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge, please take the opportunity to do so. The cherry on that cycling Sunday is the opportunity to ride up Mount Scott. Now, I believe that they closed the road up Mount Scott to cyclists and pedestrians at certain times of the day. I'm not real clear on that, but that's what I've heard. So it's a rare opportunity in this part of the world to be able to climb almost a thousand feet over the span of uh, around three miles. And of course, the descent is probably unlike anything you would ever experience in North Texas or Southern Oklahoma. But anyway, uh, my point is that the tour of the Wichita started on Fort Sill and they just made it to where anyone who didn't have the typical Department of Defense credentials uh, to get on post, they would just have them come in one particular gate and they would wave them through to the uh, start finish line of the uh, Tour of the Wichita's. That was super easy. Now, with the Tour de Fort Sill last weekend, I had to go through the standard procedure as a civilian to go to the visitor's center, fill out a document, an application essentially for a visitor's pass. And of course, um, they, do a, they do a background check. There were multiple cyclists doing so. So there was some time consumed there. I was probably in the visitor's center somewhere on the order of 15 minutes. And as I mentioned, Fort Sill is a very large military installation. So uh, even though I arrived at the visitor's center at six in the morning to get a visitor's pass, I actually didn't get to the start line for the tour to Fort Sill until somewhere around 
645. So if I could offer a recommendation to the organizers of Tour de Fort Sill is just make it easier for civilian riders to get on base for the event and perhaps maybe start a touch later. The ride started at 7 a.m. And of course, the sun doesn't rise in late September until, uh, what, after 7.30. So you have to have lights to see in the minutes leading up to the start. And for someone like me who's only riding glasses or essentially sunglasses, that makes for a tough start if I'm trying to gear up my bike in the dark. Uh, but I would recommend the Tour de Fort Sill for the challenging hills, the quality of the tarmac, and overall the support that the ride is given. It's a rare opportunity for us civilians to ride on roads normally occupied by military apparatus. So again, the Tour de Fort Sill gets my endorsement, of course, if that means anything. Now, don't forget to check the wheelbrothers.com for the remainder of the 2020 calendar. There are still some important rides taking place. I'm off at the crack of dark tomorrow morning for Munster. Well, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate and review North Texas Cycling Monthly. Don't keep it to yourself. And please know, if we don't get your five-star review, no one else is really going to listen to North Texas Cycling Monthly. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed, if there's someone out there we need to interview, or if you just want to say hi, let us know you're listening. Please email us at northtexascycling at gmail.com. And remember, your world's better when you see it from a bicycle. Stay well. We'll see you down the road. <laughs>